Well, thank you, everyone. Again, welcome uh, to Crucible Church. My name is uh, Jonathan. I'm the pastor here. And uh, customarily, we begin with some announcements. So, Rachel, let's uh, just uh, go through the announcements quickly. So, uh, again, uh, next slide. This is the start of our November series entitled The Gospel According to a Christian Executive. And uh, it's our third year now of doing this. Uh, the first uh, year, we, had, we were blessed with uh, some highlights like uh, David Robertson of The Dirty Apron and John Neat of J.J. Bean. Then the following uh, year, we had, uh, I think uh, everybody said, thought that uh, David Bento was awesome uh, to conclude that series. And now we have our November series with uh, these speakers here. And of course, we, uh, we're very blessed with uh, Braden Douglas to come and uh, speak to us. And he brought his whole Gestapo <laughs> uh, along with him. And uh, so welcome. Uh, is the entourage, and uh, and uh, he's, he's, uh, we are blessed to have him to kick off our series uh, for November. Now, uh, as you can see, we have uh, next week we have Brian Ho, uh, and the following after that is uh, Amos Lee. Now, Amos, uh, a little unique thing about Amos is that uh, we'll be having an interview up here. Uh, it's going to be a, a couch interview. He is a public high school teacher, and uh, uh, what he and I have uh, uh, talked about is that we'll discuss about everything that irks a Christian about public schools. <laughs> and so, ranging from all the alphabets that you could think of, and all the questions that you may have, or have heard about, or some criticisms about public schools, et cetera, et cetera. He is a public high school teacher, and he teaches out of uh, Burnaby South. And uh, like I said, uh, he is a well-known well, uh, uh, well uh, school teacher. He was awarded uh, from the Prime Minister the award of uh, teaching excellence uh, in Canada. And uh, the Prime Minister actually flew here to present him that award. And so I think he has something to say right, about the, the public schools. And so it's going to be a couch interview. He and I will be discussing. And then after that, we'll have an open uh, mic Q&A amongst uh, a conversation between him and yourselves. Following after that, to conclude, we have Grayson Bain. Now, he is the founder of uh, Rocky Mountain Cycles, and now he's uh, currently handing off his social enterprise called Just Tea to his son, and uh, he's going to conclude our uh, executive series. And of course, Henry's going to uh, cook up a pancake breakfast just before that. So, um, like, we usually, uh, and we uh, traditionally, we uh, usually uh, offer a pancake breakfast to the entire community, including the people downstairs working out to eliminate their workout. <laughs> so, uh, but we're inviting everyone to come to have a pancake breakfast, and right after that breakfast, uh, we're gonna have Grayson to talk to us and conclude our executive series. Great. Now let's move on to the next uh, slide. We have our Crucible Church dinner and prayer on November the 12th. Now that's us next week, right after Remembrance Day. Uh, thank you for those who have signed up. I think pretty much everyone signed up. Uh, for this. So uh, again, just a reminder, it's going to be at a common room over at uh, Will and Serenade's complex at 9680 Alexandra Road. And uh, if you don't have the directions to that or it gets a little tricky, just contact Vivian here or myself and we'll send you a map. Uh, everyone's invited. Uh, even uh, your children are invited. We want to bless the children as well to pray over them. So uh, please uh, feel free to come. Uh, dinner is free and provided. Dinner is provided and it's free. <laughs> the other way around. Dinner is provided and it's free. All right. Uh, sign up is over at the front counter. And the last announcement is our Christmas celebration. Yes, we're talking about Christmas now because Halloween is over. We forget about Remembrance Day. Oh, mind you, remember Remembrance Day. <laughs> Don't forget that one. Uh, Crucible Christmas, uh, we're having our Modern Strings Quartet coming back again. Uh, backed by popular demand from last year. They were great last year, so we're having them again. Our theme is called Top Hits Christmas. They're going to perform uh, all the top tunes uh, uh, that you hear on the radio, mixed in with classical uh, music. So if you know the piano guys, that's what, they're, what they do for a living as well. So they're going to come over and perform, and uh, we're going to have a uh, buffet dinner about provided by Smoke and Bones because they just love us, and we love them. So uh, they're going to come over to uh, uh, serve us again. And uh, cost is up there, registration is at the front table again. I think uh, we're almost like 70% sold uh, through now. So uh, please, uh, now it's open to the public. We have now opened uh, all the ticket sales to the public and they can now uh, come in as well. And uh, if it was like last year, <laughs> we usually get outnumbered by them. So uh, let's uh, uh, open it up to the public and welcome our community over to celebrate Christmas together. All right, and that's it for announcements, right Rachel? Perfect. Brandon, how about you come up? Sure.
Now we are again, we are very blessed to have Brandon Douglas to come and just kick off our November executive series. And Brandon, I would just uh, want to pray for you and uh, allow us to pray over you uh, as the Spirit leads us and leads your talk uh, to us. Awesome. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our brother Brandon. Lord, again, I believe that during his preparations and meditations over your word, that your spirit was speaking to him. Lord, I pray for your spirit to ordain him today as uh, he speaks forth your truth, and that whatever words that he says is not his, but his, yours, and that you open our hearts to impress whatever you want us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, thank you very much, Jonathan. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. good. It's going to be good. I think I'm feeling uh, like a good energy here. This is nice. And welcome. Uh, this is my community group. So this is a. Uh, so I told them on Friday night. I said, "Hey, I'm going to be speaking at Crystal Church," and they were like, "Can we come?" And I said, "Sure, if you really want." <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure they would like. They would welcome that. So welcome, guys. It's uh, it's good having you here. And uh, I can't believe how many good speakers and stuff you guys have had. Um, John Neat, uh, David Bentall, even Grayson. I've actually worked with, uh, with some of them and uh, fantastic guys. Uh, but even more than that, they're just great uh, Christians that really love Jesus. And so it's pretty neat that you get to have that uh, in doing this uh, as a part of it. So I'm a marketer. And uh, I know Brian and I can share that as a common uh, career trait, which is always exciting. Now, in Christian circles, though, marketing is like not always loved. And uh, in 2005, when I came from Frito-Lay to a nonprofit organization, uh, and it was at, called Campus Crusade for Christ in Langley at the time. And I came out west, and the president called me into his office, Leonard Bueller, and he said, Braden, man, we're so excited to have you, but I want to talk to you about marketing. It's, um, you know, we're thinking about changing your title to Director of Communications. And I thought, well, okay, Leonard, well, that, well, that's okay, but, you know, I don't think marketing is like, I know, I know. It's just that, you know, when we talk about it, we're not a business, we're a ministry, we're, you know, people kind of get offended. It's like you're trying to get them to buy something they don't need with money they don't have. <laughs> and, and it was like, really? Well, you know, marketing is really, it's just like an economics. You have supply and demand, and marketing is a strategy on the demand side. It's about, you know, what product and service are we going to have? Uh, what price point? Where are people going to buy it? Why are they going to buy that this way? What's going on in their life? What's the brand and the story and the message? And I said, the principles are the same. Whether you're a, a for-profit business or a non-profit, people are still people, and it's this, just the strategy that we want to work through. And he said, I know. I get that. But it's got a stigma to it. And I said, well, can we compromise? And uh, he said, okay, fine. It'll be a director of communications and marketing. And I said, can I put marketing first? <laughs> and he said, well, you're not really, we're not really paying you anyway. You're raising your own support, so knock yourself out. <laughs> uh, and so that was, my, that was kind of my foray into this. Uh, and now, uh, in three years later, and I'll, I'll get into the story a little bit, but uh, I started Crew Marketing Partners in 2007. And right now we have three offices in Canada. We have our Surrey office, Kelowna, and uh, recently the Greater Toronto area. And so we've worked with lots of different companies, uh, organizations like Hard Bite Potato Chips. Anybody had those? Yeah, good. Thank you. Keep buying them. <laughs> uh, Silver Hills Bakery and Frybee Meats and BC Chicken and Quail's Gate Winery and Sunripe. And we've worked with some nonprofits. So, you know, Janice here at Alpha Canada. And food for the hungry and lots of different ones. So I've had a real pro, uh, privilege, probably over about 700 businesses that, and organizations that we've worked with uh, as a company, which is, uh, which is exciting. So even some of the speakers that you've had here, we've worked with them. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of neat to be able to see that uh, from it. But this morning when Jonathan asked me, I said, well, you know, this is a, a gospel according to a Christian executive. And it's exciting that I get to kick it off. And I thought, you know, what can I actually what should I talk about you know I'm talking to the Lord I'm saying okay God like what do what do you want me to say right these are your people 
Um, and he just kept bringing up this idea of tax collectors. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> like, you know, there's like the hierarchy of, of jobs in the world, right? Like, you know, marketing is still above being a lawyer, but it's like, it's still, <laughs> you know, it's still not great. And so I thought about, uh, you know, going through the gospel and seeing uh, tax collectors. Right? And there's two famous ones that I want to talk about today. One is Matthew. Right? Everybody kind of knows Matthew, right? He wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and the other one is a small man, which, you know, I'm not a very big person, so I kind of uh, can relate to him. And what's his name? Zacchaeus. Excellent. Okay, you guys are well, well versed already uh, within this. So, oh, look at that. It just goes down automatically. I like that. <laughs> I just said Zacchaeus, and it just starts to just slowly shrink down, which is very nice. Well done. Um, so now tax collectors, now just before we get into that, and we're going uh, to get into our Bibles and stuff uh, in a second, but you have to kind of know back in, the, you know back in the time of Jesus, right, you had the Romans uh, who conquered, uh, conquered Israel, they were conquering the whole uh, area, and they, had, um, and they would basically hire Jewish people to collect taxes. And so they, and so they would say, okay, well, I'm a Jewish person. Do you want to work for the Romans who occupied your country by force uh, to collect taxes from your own people? So just think of the types of people that would say yes to that role, that job. And then on top of that, because they're probably a little bit outcast anyway, uh, they would then you know, hang out probably with each other. They probably had their smaller community of tax collectors. But then they would say, if the Roman taxes were, say, $100, uh, it's $100 uh, for you, the tax collectors would then say, for you, uh, it's $120. And they would take that money, and they would take that $120 from you, and they would give the Romans $100, and they would keep $20 for themselves. Right? And so they would, kind of, they would start to do this. And there's nothing you could do about it. If you say, hey, that's not fair, you're like, well, you can go talk to the Romans. I think they're going to say it's quite fair. And so they didn't have a great reputation. They would kind of line their pockets a lot. Uh, they were kind of outcast anyway. And so it was always kind of in this place where the Jewish people did not like the tax collector. They were just, they were right up there with sinners. And so we're going to kind of look at two famous ones. So if you've got your Bible with you, uh, we're going to look at Matthew 9, 9 to 13. All right, so we're going to talk about the story of Matthew, and then we're going to talk about Zacchaeus. So in Matthew 9, 9 to 13. All right, and so my wife, uh, she's right here, Jen, and she got me this study Bible, which is like a precept study Bible, and it's so thick. And, uh, it is so big, and I just feel way more spiritual when I'm walking around. And I get to walk in and be like, look how big this is. This is like, this guy is serious uh, within there. But if you've got your phone earlier, so it's Matthew 9, 9 to 13. And uh, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, that was Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, so that's the calling of Matthew, right? And uh, in which town did Matthew live? Capernaum, right? So Matthew was in the town of Capernaum, well, which is where Jesus was living, where he started his ministry from, right? So I just want you to picture Matthew. He's in Capernaum, and he's in his tax collector's booth, right? And he knew Jesus. Okay, I want you to picture that right now and hold that, hold that thought. And we're going to look at Luke 19, 1 to 9. Okay, Luke 19, 1 to 9. So this is when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And Luke 19, 1 to 9, he says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. 
And he hurried down, and he received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. All right, so we have two people. We've got Matthew and we have Zacchaeus. And there's three things that between these stories that I want us this morning to really think about. Number one is the preparation. Number two is the response. And number three is the action. Okay, so the preparation, the response, and then the action. Okay, so I want you to think about Matthew right now. This is the preparation. Now, back in uh, there, what was Jesus' job? What was he doing? Right? Every, he was a teacher, right, which was a rabbi. Right? So he was in the rabbinical system. So you would have these rabbis that would go. It was kind of like their university. Their post-secondary school was you got to be chosen. And so you would come up and you would ask a rabbi to say, can I follow you? And he would then he would test you and different things. He would say, yes, you're in. You can come, come follow me. And you would do this. And so a lot of times rabbis, uh, people would come up and they would apply to these rabbis and you would follow them around. And they would teach you because there wasn't a lot of books. You didn't have schools and classes. You had villages and things. And so people would then come up to a rabbi and say, you know, can I follow you? Then you'd bring you along. You would just be learning from them the whole time. And they would eventually pass it on to you. And then you would then, you know, go do the same. It was the oral tradition. And so you have Matthew sitting here. And Jesus is quite well known. He's already starting his ministry. He's healing people. Just before he called Matthew, he healed, he healed a paralytic, right? He got up from his mat, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, we've never seen anything like this in all of Israel. And so he was a big deal, right? Crowds were following him. And so imagine he's walking down the streets, right? This big crowd with Jesus, and he's sitting, and he's seeing Matthew sitting there in his tax collector's booth. I want you to picture yourself as Matthew. What's going on in your mind? What's your life like? How many friends do you have? Does the community want you? And Capernaum's not a big city. This is like a small village by the sea. Right? So he's probably sitting there. What's going through his mind? He's seeing everybody. He's seeing all those pieces. And this is where you can see is that it's it's that he's sitting here is waiting for something and Jesus is coming down and the crowds are coming and he's probably starting to perk up from his booth. Oh, maybe some people pay their taxes today. <laughs> right? When Jesus comes down, he says to him, Matthew, come follow me. Right? We have a, one of the most famous rabbis telling you to come follow him, which was basically saying, come change your job. Come follow me and be my disciple." And what, is it, what does the text say that he did? Followed him, right? He left his booth. Ah, get rid of this job, <laughs> right? He just started following Jesus, right? Brings him to his house after, right? It's like a change of job. He's probably bringing his friends. Hey guys, going on a long trip. We want to come meet Jesus. All these tax collectors are there, right? This is a whole new identity, a whole new change. Right, that was the preparation. It was about well, what was going on in Matthew's heart and mind before Jesus called him, that he would immediately leave everything there. Right? It wasn't like he didn't know who Jesus was. It wasn't like a random thing, like, oh, who are you? Oh, fault? yeah, okay, sure. Oh, just blindly going. He was definitely prepared for something. I guarantee that God was already working on him. There was already a restlessness maybe to say, I want more. I want more of you, God. Help me with this. And then all of a sudden, Jesus called and he had an opportunity and he took it. Okay, now let's go to Zacchaeus. So Jesus, this is farther out. This is Jesus' last time. He's walking, going to Jerusalem. And he goes through Jericho. Right, and you think of now, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. Right, So he was the head guy of the tax collectors of Jericho, which was a prominent city. Uh, they had lots of different spices, lots of different stuff, and he was very rich. And think about this, is that, okay, Jesus, you're coming down. Everybody, everybody would know who this is. Big crowds. Hey, guys, Jesus is coming through. 
So here's Zacchaeus, and what does he say that he can't get through? Can't get through the crowd, right? Right, because there's lots of crowd there. He probably wants to see, and I'm sure he probably didn't want to go up to random people and say, oh, excuse me, can I just, you know, can I come closer? Because they didn't like him, right? He's a, he's a tax collector, and not just any tax collector. He was the, the chief one. So they were probably like, you're disgusting. Don't, ew, gross. Do not even want you here. Right, he sees Jesus coming down. He said, okay, I'm going to. So think about this. Why did he want to see him so badly? Right, what's going on in his mind and his heart? And he's like, okay, I'm going to go. And, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to go. Like, think about yourself. There's a little parade. You know, I'm just going to go and I'm going to climb that tree over there. Right, that's a really weird thing to do. I don't know how many people have actually climbed a tree to see something else, but like not very often, and not like a grown man who's the chief tax collector of a city. Right? So here he goes. He goes and he climbs the sycamore tree. And they weren't that big trees. They were kind of, you know, they were bigger, but they had lots of different branches and stuff. So here he is just kind of climbing up in a tree, and they've got, you know, tunics on, like, which I told my kids, it's kind of like a long male dress, which they're like, that's weird. <laughs> but I was like, it's hot and stuff, and it's dusty, so I had to wear dresses. So don't worry about it, kids. <laughs> and so he gets up into the sycamore tree, right? And so it's kind of awkward, and it's a little bit weird, right? And then here comes Jesus. He's walking out with all his group, right? And he's just like, oh, there's Jesus. Right? He's just trying to get a look. He just wants to look. Like, who is Jesus? Like, I just want this. And then Jesus looks up to him, and he says, Zacchaeus. Like, come on, get down here. Come on down. I'm going to stay at your house today. What? Right? There, was a, there was a preparation, though. There was, an, there was a certain thing to say, what, why does he want to see Jesus so badly? And when he comes down, he's a guest, and everybody's probably like, what the heck? Were, like, the grumbling, right? It says there was grumbling. They were like, oh, he's going to be the house of a sinner. Like, the crowd definitely did not like him, and they did not like Jesus going to his house. And what does Zacchaeus then say to Jesus? And he came down, they're grumbling now. He's gone to the house, and, he, and Zacchaeus stopped, because he probably heard this. It's not like he's deaf, and he couldn't hear what people were saying. Right? And so he said, well, Lord, behold, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, I will give back four times as much. Right? There is an element. This is, was his response. His response wasn't, you know, Jesus, I just, I just when I was in the sick, I asked you into my heart, and now I believe you. That wasn't what he said. Like this was an this was a tangible action. This was saying, you know what? I am going to give. I'm going to start to actually change uh, and do stuff. So when we look at the preparation, you look at Matthew, you look at Zacchaeus, and there was an anticipation. There was an expectation of wanting God. And I was at, when I started my marketing career at Frito Lay at uh, a university. I was on the Lay's, Ruffles, and Miss Vicky's brands. So for two years of my life, I was Miss Vicky. Yep. And, uh, you know, I was the pepper guy, so I created Lay's sea salt and pepper chips and uh, Miss Vicky's lime and black pepper. Like, that was, like, that's what I did. I, you like those ones? Thank you. But that's right. That's the one. And, uh, and I was still, you know, I was, like, you know, working so hard getting people to eat more chips and... <laughs> And I was trying to figure this out, but, you know, for me, the whole thing, this was a, it was, it was an element when you are in your, you know, early to mid-20s. My whole life was all about achieving. It was about getting good marks, getting good grades, working hard, playing sports. Uh, I was on student councils. I did everything so I could have a great resume. Uh, my parents were hardcore Christians. They were, like, my mom was a tambourine lady, all right? We all know them. She would, and she didn't have a great voice. She can't sing very well, but you all knew when she was singing in church. <laughs> like, she was that lady. Like, she would just kind of, you know, the worship leader, like, they would stop, and she would just, keep going a bit, and you're like, oh, gosh. <laughs> and I remember being in high school and being like, oh, like, they, my parents would force us, like, make us to come to church every Sunday, um, but I didn't like it. I didn't feel like I connected. I, I didn't feel that that God, that he made a practical difference in my life at that time. I was like, well, I, I get great marks. I'm a nice guy. I play lots of sports. I, I don't know why I really need God. Like maybe when I'm older. 
And so I went through that. I went to university, uh, you know, graduated, um, had to grow a great job. And I thought, yeah, this is it. This is what I'm doing. And so, but here I was at Frito-Lay. This was in two, you know, about 2003, 2004. And I remember I was sitting there at 9.30 at night. I was the only one in the office. And I was working on a Miss Vicky's strategy. And I thought, what am I doing with my life? Like, what am I really doing? Like, am I, am I just getting people to eat more chips? <laughs> and I remember standing up and I'm like kind of walking to the office, like nobody else is there. And I thought, okay, well, what, like play this out, Brie. Play this out for 10 years, 20 years. So you become an executive. You know, let's look at their, their lives. What is it like? A lot of broken marriages, <clears throat> a lot of chasing after dollars, getting better titles. And I started looking at my own friends and everything, and I realized I was like a puddle. I was a mile wide, lots of stuff. Everybody's giving you great accolades, but I was an inch deep. I had no depth. I had no depth to my life, and I just felt like empty. And I remember going home, driving home that night, and I went back into uh, to my apartment there, and I sat on my bed, right, and I looked across, and there was this, that mirror on my dresser, and I just remember looking at myself and thinking, oh, like, who are you? What are you really doing? Who are you really? And I just really felt, that was one of the first times I really felt God was just, you know, when the Holy Spirit is just working on you, and he just, I just felt him say, Braden, you might be a winner right now in life, but man, you're a loser spiritually. And I started just crying and breaking down, and I thought, you know what, I, am, I can't go through this. It was this Zacchaeus moment of just saying, God, I, I know you're there. I don't really know you. I know of you, but I don't know you, but I want to. And it was like this, uh, this yearning, this desire to say, you know what, yeah, I, and at that moment, I would have climbed a sycamore tree. Right, that's the, that's the one point is that when do you get to that point where you're like, you know what, I don't really care what other people say. I don't care what my other friends are going to care and say about me. It's like I'm willing, to, I'm willing to go up into a sycamore tree because I don't like where I've been and I want you. And so I started to look at uh, different churches in the area and say, okay, I should probably go to church. And, and so I, I uh, was... You know, I heard about these different churches, and one was called the Meeting House. Has anybody heard of the Meeting House back in uh, Toronto? Yeah, and it was a the tagline was a church for people who aren't into church. Uh-huh. And I thought, perfect, <laughs> that's me. I like that's great. And so I went. To, so I started to go by myself. I just drove, drove in, and that's you know it's kind of an awkward thing when you're just kind of you kind of walk in and. You know, everybody's like, oh, hi, welcome to the church. How's it going? Right? And you're like, okay. You know, like I kind of knew the routine a little bit, but you go and you sit by yourself, and you then you have to go to like a young adults thing by yourself, and you put yourself out there. And But there's an element that I wasn't, I, I didn't really care because I knew that this was something I wanted to get into. And this was a, an area to say, I really want to know who you are, Jesus. I don't want a canned answer. I knew the answers of cannedness, but I wanted to say, what's real? And this is where that preparation for me was just stirring in your, in your mind and thinking, okay, God, this is, this is what I want to do. Who are you? I was asking all these questions, and it came, to the, it came in, and Jesus was with his, all these people were following him, and he says to them, if you really want to be my follower, you have to pick up, you have to put aside your selfish ambition. Pick up your cross and follow me. If you try to keep this life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give it up for me, you're going to find it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? And I remember reading that in Matthew and, and thinking, oh man, put aside your selfish ambition. Take up your cross, which is basically saying, you're probably going to die. Are you willing to do that for me? Are you going to lose your life so you can actually really gain it? And I remember thinking, okay, if I'm going to follow then, God, I want to really follow. And that was the response for me. So my preparation was all about saying, I have a need. My response is saying, okay, God, I'm willing to do this. So the response from Matthew, when he's sitting at tax collectors and Jesus says to him, come, follow me. He could have easily said, 
Well, I, that's a really good thing. What's the comp like? Um, <laughs> you know, benefits? I don't know, Jesus. I'm not sure. It seems like a lot of walking. Um, right? It wasn't a convincing of anything. This was about, okay, you know what? I know what you're asking me. I know what this means. And I'm going to choose to follow. And he got up and he followed. Right, Zacchaeus, though, here's a different response. So Jesus says to him, come, come down from that tree. I'm going to stay at your house today. And he's like, ah, oh, amazing. He's like, okay, and everybody's grumbling, he's mad, and he's like, okay, God, half of my possessions I'm going to give away. Why would he do that? Like, here's an interesting thing. So Matthew, he says, I want you to come here. Matthew, I want you to follow me, I want you to be a disciple. He doesn't ask, he doesn't ask Zacchaeus to be a disciple. Right? It's not that every single person is going to become one of his 12. Right? He doesn't say, okay, Zacchaeus, come follow me, be a disciple. He doesn't say that. He's saying, he's saying I'm going to give half my possessions away, and, and if I have defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times as much. And then Jesus says, today's salvation has come to this house. So it's an interesting piece of why, so why did Jesus say that to Zacchaeus? Like, why not just be like, hey, then come be my disciple? And I think it's because when Jesus sees us, he sees who we are. He sees what we've been given. We, and think about what now is probably going to happen in Jericho. Well, how much influence can Zacchaeus has as a chief tax collector who's now on fire for the Lord? What influence is that going to have? Right, this is where sometimes it's that God is going to call us and he's going to call you into full-time ministry. Sometimes he's going to say, no, I want you where you are. I want you using your gifts and your talents right here for my purpose to build my kingdom. And so I think this is sometimes where as Christians, we, we come and feel like, well, that's like, you know, if God calls us, we're in, we need to be in full-time ministry. And it's like, well, no, not necessarily. For some people, absolutely you should be doing that. For other people... No. And that's what I thought. I thought, man, like I'm at Frito-Lay, I was getting restless, now I'm, now I'm like a hardcore Jesus follower, and my life is starting to really change, I'm making different decisions. And I thought, okay, well, God, I want to make a difference for you. I want to really kind of get on this. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I need to go into full-time ministry here. So I was just looking for opportunities, maybe. I was getting involved in the church. And one of our friends, she, was, uh, she came back from a trip with Leader Impact uh, down in Mexico. And she came back and said, Braden, I know you're into leadership and business. Uh, I just came back from this trip. I think you should uh, check out this organization. And so, this, uh, and so it was Leonard Bueller who just became president of Campus Crusade. Now it's called Power to Change. And he, I remember meeting with him and he was like, oh, hey, Braden, I want you to, why don't you come and lead our marketing department? He said communications, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, why don't you come and lead that at West? And I thought, okay, well, maybe this is it, God. Maybe this is what I should be doing. Yeah, full-time ministry. I'm using my skill set and my gifts of marketing, which I love. And I think, okay, maybe I should do this. Is this what you're you know, calling me to do? And you wrestle through that decision and you're trying to seek him and you get confirmation from people and... And, you know, and, and a lot of Christians, they're pretty, they're awesome. I love, you know, we all love each other. And when somebody says that, usually the answer is like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> right? Like, not a lot of times you're like, ah, you know, I don't think you should. I think you should actually just stay at Frito-Lay and actually make a huge impact. Maybe make a lot of money and keep giving it away. Maybe you should do that. But nobody said that to me. They were all like, yeah, you should go into full-time ministry. And I was dating Jen at the time. And, and, and you know, people are supportive. And she, she was fantastic. <laughs> and uh and so i uh, so i said okay i'm gonna leave frito-lay and so i remember going in there to frito-lay and uh i was only there for about three years and i remember going in and i you know hand my resignation your your, your stomach is just like turning because you're like okay i'm gonna have this really awkward conversation and i remember going to my boss uh jason mcdonald and i said jason uh jay i'm going to uh you know i just really feel like i need to uh you know to leave and he said he was like oh really 
I'm glad he did that, because if he was like, oh, fantastic, great, you know, then, <laughs> then I knew that it probably wasn't that good, but he was like, oh, really? And he's like, okay, well, you know, are you going to a competitor? And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to go um, to British Columbia and uh, work at a company called Campus Crusade for Christ. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me and he was like, <laughs> wow, that's, uh, that's a change. Uh, I should have said, that's the power to change. <laughs> that's what I should have said, but I didn't. Uh, and so he said, uh, and I said, I, and he was like, okay, well, that was different. Uh, and even my parents, my parents thought, like, they didn't know the organization at all, and they thought I was joining some cult in BC. And, uh, and they were like, okay, well, we love you. You've made pretty good decisions in your life. You're, you know, out of our basement and stuff, so I guess you're fine. Go for it. And so I remember, you know, uh, and then even the president, when I was, uh, you know, my last day, he called me into his office and he said, you know, Braden, are you sure you want to do this? Like, you still have a job here if you'd like. And I thought, no, you know, I, I really feel like I need to go and need to do this. And he said, well, it's going to be really hard for you to ever come back into consumer packaged goods. Like, once you make this choice, it's, it's usually a career-limiting move. And I, and I said, I know. And I left. I flew out west. I didn't know anybody. We landed in Abbotsford. Um, yeah, which is, I've learned all about Mennonites since then. <laughs> Love them. Borscht and Mulkuka and all that great stuff. And so Jen and I got married uh, shortly after, and she moved down, and we started our life here in BC. I was with Power to Change for, for three years. I changed their name from Campus Crusade for Christ to Power to Change, worked through their strategy, helped them really figure out, okay, how do we do this? Um, different portfolio strategies. And, but everything, I just, this uneasiness was always kind of with me. And I was like, okay, God, like, but I'm, I'm here in ministry. Like, it should be different. And, uh, and he, I just really felt like that every strategy was to say, how do we get business people and marketplace leaders engaged with what we're doing? Because they have influence, they have affluence, they can give, they can really make an impact. And almost every strategy was, okay, let's try to, we think this is a good idea, we need donors though, we need people involved and engaged. And I thought, man, if I could, if I could actually maybe help businesses become really profitable, work with them to integrate charitable initiatives to make an impact, maybe that could actually be a lot stronger. And I remember going home to Jen and saying, you know, Jen, like, I think there's an idea to blend a, a marketing department with a creative agency in one, do it with growing organizations that we could really help them and help them really make an impact. I said, I think we should start at an agency. And uh, she was like, well, if it doesn't work, we can always get a job somewhere, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and that was, a big, that was a really big decision because I think a lot of times in church circles specifically, we look at sacred jobs and we look at secular jobs. And we have this divide that one is more important than the other. And I think now over time, people are really, that stigma I think is becoming less and less. But there is no separation. We are all in mission and in ministry together. And some of us have been gifted to be pastors, some teachers, Right? Some evangelists, some doctors, lawyers, yes, even lawyers. <laughs> right? But it's all about what are we putting first? Right? I mean, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when pe and, uh, people are saying, you know, don't, and Jesus is like, don't worry about what you wear. Right? Don't, worry about what you're, you know, don't worry about what you're doing. God knows all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I think the idea behind that is, who are we seeking first, and what are we seeking first? You know, are we building God's kingdom, or are we building our kingdom? And that's the key thing, is that it's almost a, is that God doesn't care so much about what we do, more about who we are. And if we love him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and if we really love him, and it's like, that is the power that's really going to come through this. And you say, okay, God, where do you want me to put my energy and effort? And that might be in full-time ministry. And if that is, that is fantastic. You should do that with all your might. And if it's, in the, if it's in the actual real world, that's what you should be doing. And do it on full out. And it's not easy. And so my response, even the action. So Zacchaeus is selling half his possessions. Matthew is now a full-time disciple. 
And this is where, even when we're starting our agency, we have, you know, you have 50 employees, lots of contractors, lots of people, and we're trying to decide, okay, God, like, how do I do this practically? And there's some big decisions that we've had to really wrestle through. One is uh, legalization of cannabis has been something that a lot of, because about only maybe 15, 20% of our staff are Christians, right? Everybody else at crew is, they're not. And they're like, well, if it's legal, then, you know, Braden, shouldn't we just do it? Like, why are you have make it an issue? Well, is medical marijuana okay? It's just not the, you know, THC side. Is it is CBD oil okay, but not these other ones? And so there's a lot of these questions that are coming up that we're trying to say, okay, well, what should we do? Uh, BC Lottery, want, you know, they came to us with an RFP and they said, hey, we want you guys to really submit for it. And we're like, okay, do I want to help people gamble? Right, and our staff is like, well, Brady, you have an, you have an obligation to provide you know, jobs and revenue for us and to keep this really going. And then you can maybe use that money to be able to give to nonprofits and stuff, right? And it's like, ah, I get that. I, I can, we can justify anything. <laughs> you can justify anything you want. But it's like, what do I really want to do with that? You know, what about, uh, well, what's the difference between wine maybe? And maybe we had one guy come in and he said, oh, Braden, I've got this great kind of, you know, cheap alcohol uh, that we think university students and stuff are going to really love and it's going to be great and I want you to brand it and name it and do this kind of stuff. You know, and it's, you know, here's $50,000. And you're like, ah. <laughs> you know, what do you decide? And I think this is where, for me, it was a, uh, and so you have people on our leadership team who are like, Braden, absolutely you should be doing these things. Right? And then you can, you know, personally, you can give and do different stuff with it. But the business should just be a business. You should separate it out. And I remember thinking, I said, you know what? You're right. You could do that. I said, but one day, I'm going to go, I'm going to meet Jesus face to face in all his glory. And he's going to come and he said, hey, Braden, what did you use? What did you do with the skills and the gifts that I've given you? And he's going to say, and I'm going to say, well, you know, Jesus, but remember, I know I did that. And, but, you know, because I got all this money and I was able to give it away and stuff. And he's like, I don't need your money. Like, I don't need that. I want, I want you. I want you to make those decisions. So we've said no to a lot of things. And I think for me, it's just saying, well, where is your faith? Is our faith in God who's going to provide? Or is our faith in us trying to figure it out and saying, hey, God, I hope you bless this. And I think that's where a lot of times for me, I said, you know what? I do not want to go through life thinking that I have God on the side. I think he's got to be the main dish. And this is what I'm going to dedicate our lives to, and this is what we're going to be doing. And so I think that's for all of us, that response at the end is, you know, where we're going with it uh, from that. So this is where, um, do we have, uh, I'm going to end it. Do we have, do we have time for one story? Yeah? Okay. And so I think regardless of where you're at, this is when I was at Frito-Lay, um, and, uh, you know, fairly young in the company, I was, you know, this new Christian, I wanted to make a difference. How do I talk to people about the gospel and, and just kind of, uh, you know, just really make it salt and light. And so they had a, a United Way auction, right? And uh, Jonathan probably knows this story maybe uh, in a bit, but they had this United Way auction. And so on this auction, you could buy like different prizes and Raptors tickets and Leafs tickets and uh, and stuff, and um, and they had all these other things. You could buy somebody's vacation, so somebody gave up one of their weeks of vacation that you could purchase. Uh, somebody gave up their parking stall, their private parking stall, and they had this one thing called it one hour with the president, that you could get him to do whatever you wanted, clean wow. your desk, right, <laughs> write your report for you, right, whatever it was. And so everybody's you know signing up for these things, and there's hundreds of people at the company, and uh, I remember you know I'm this young whippersnapper, and I'm coming in, and I'm thinking, okay. Oh, look at all this kind of stuff. But I don't have any money either, so I'm just you know trying to look for all the cheap stuff. And um, and so I came into and they saw only there's nobody signed up for the hour with the president yet, and it started at seventy five dollars. I thought, oh, that's pretty good. 
And so then somebody's like, oh, Braden, you can't do that because that's only really reserved for like the executives. Like only like the top executives actually ever do those things because that's just what happens here. And I'm like, really? <laughs> oh, I'm gonna see that. Yeah. <laughs> put my name on it, Braden Douglas, $75. <laughs> right, put it down and everybody's like, what are you doing? I said, no, it's gonna be fine, it's gonna be fine. And so, uh, you know, the, the day goes by and I'm, you know, like I come back and I check and everything's getting filled up. I'm the only one in that thing. And everybody's like, nobody's ever done that. Like, this is like, you're gonna have, like, this is a career limiting move. <laughs> and uh, so they, they closed the auction and I won. I won an hour with the president. And so I'm like, okay. Whew. All right, here we go. And so I went to his uh, secretary the next day and I said, hey, I'd like to book an hour with the president. You know, maybe like tomorrow, maybe the next day. I've got my calendar's pretty open. And she said, you can see him in three months. That's his calendar. That's, uh, that's how much time he has. So I'm like, okay, put me down for that three months. Uh, so it was three months later, right? So, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, and all the people are coming up to me and say, hey, Brad, what are you get the president to do? Are you going to get him to do that report? Maybe like look over that budget for you, get him to clean out your like, you know, your cubicle and you can film it. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, uh, I can't tell you. It's going to be a surprise. And so, you know, it's getting closer and I confirmed with the secretary. I said, he's, is Mark going to be available then? She's like, yep, he's going to be available. So I came and, uh, and my boss, you know, called me into his office about three days before. He's like, hey, Braden, like, what are you going to be getting the president to do? I said, I can't tell you. Surprise. <laughs> he's like, this is a big deal. Like, you can't just go in there and, like, go do anything. you got to, like, tell me. Like, what are you going to do? And I said, don't worry. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just can't tell you. It's a surprise. I was like, okay. Day before, the vice president calls me into his office. <laughs> I said, Braden, I know you're meeting with Mark Gay, the president, tomorrow. Um, you have to tell me what you're doing. Because Mark is asking me. And I said, I can't tell you. <laughs> and he's like, Braden! I am your boss's boss. Like, you are this 24-year-old, like, student here. Like, who are his, like, and we like you, Brayden. We like you. We really do. Like, what are you going to be doing? I said, I can't tell you. He's like, oh, my gosh. And so I said, don't worry, Dale. I'm not going to embarrass you. It's going to be okay. But I just can't tell you. So surprised. He's like, fine. So the next day, you know, I, I go uh, up to the secretary and uh, I said, hey, I'm here for my hour with Mark. And she said, okay, yeah, come on in. So I walk in and here's his office. But his office is not just like the corner office. There was actually a whole other <laughs> like, like secret boardroom with like a bar and everything in there and stuff. And so I remember walking in thinking, whoa, this is a great office. And they're like, well, you'll be meeting with him in the, the private boardroom. And I was like, there is a reason they don't allow me in here. It was amazing. It was like, let, like beautiful. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. And uh, I remember sitting down and Mark comes in. He's like, oh, hi, Braden. How are you? And, and uh, he was saying, he's like, okay, we have one hour. Um, what would you like to do? And I said, okay, Mark. And I brought out this sheet of paper. And I, on this, I had the list of projects that I had been working on. And I had the names of the people that also worked on these projects that completed with their phone numbers. And I said what they did really well. And I said, I'd like you to call each of these people right now and thank them for working on that project for us. And he was like, okay, okay. So he, we got on the phone and it was like the speaker phone and he like called about like 15 people. And he called like the agency, the printer that we use, the media house. Uh, he called uh, the person in operations in Cambridge who had to do a special run. Uh, and I said, that, oh, was, that was great. I said, okay, and I have these two cards I want you to put in. I want one is for my director and one's for the VP. And I want you to tell them um, one thing that you really appreciate about their leadership. He was like, oh, okay. So he wrote it to my boss and then my boss's boss. Right? And I said, okay, great. You put them in there. And I had the final one I got from his secretary, his home, um, like his home address. I said, and I had a name of a florist by his house. And I said, okay, we're going to order your wife flowers, right? And uh, and so we, uh, and he goes, he goes, okay, but I'll pay, right? And so, and I was ready to do that. So we called him. We ordered uh, flowers for his wife, 
And he said, okay, but I also want to order flowers, uh, you know, for your girlfriend. So I ordered Jen flowers. <laughs> and he paid. <laughs> which was awesome. Right? And, uh, and so that was it. The hour was up. Right? And I'm like, oh, great. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. And I, uh, I kind of left. And everybody's like, hey, what happened? What did you do? And I said, oh, you know, it was good. We just had a really good chat and did some stuff. The agencies called me. They said they kept that message from the president on their machine. And they actually sent it to everybody in the organization. Like the printers. The, my bosses came in and said, oh, Braden, like Mark was talking about what you did at the senior leadership team meeting. And about how it was like, it was one of the best hours that he spent, you know, in years. And how effective. And he was really gleaming, so I think the flowers really paid off at home. <laughs> so I think that was a good thing. But for me, the, you know, the more important thing is that wherever we are in life, whatever we've been given, whatever role that you have, you can make a difference. You can make an impact. And for us, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Right? And if, you're, if you are a follower of Jesus, man, like, we have so much given to us. God is so good. And we're on this mission together to say, you know what, how do we reach Richmond? How do we reach our friends and our family, our coworkers? How do we build into them? Right? And that is the key thing that we want to do today. And I think that this, this series that what you're doing is fantastic. And, I would, and it is a privilege to be in mission and in ministry with you guys. So thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you, Brayden. Customarily, uh, this is the first uh, Sunday of the month, and uh, we invite everyone to participate with us at the Lord's table. So as the uh, worship team uh, plays in the background, let me just prepare our hearts for now, as the ushers present to you the bread and the cup, just take the piece of bread and dip it in the cup, and uh, just keep it with you. Uh, we'll uh, participate and partake of bread together. righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, 
who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obeyed this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He alone can never die, and He lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach Him. No human eye has ever seen Him, nor ever will. All honor and power to Him forever. Amen. Please be seated. And after a silent moment of prayer, you may be dismissed. Uh, I will be here up here for the next few minutes if you need to be prayed. Uh, but till next Sunday, have a blessed week.
It's like you're drinking what? <laughs> I'm like, remember, I was kind of debating about like, should I put wine in or not? Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 